This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 15, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Some U.S. lawmakers want to reinstitute Glass-Steagall, effectively creating a barrier between investment banks and commercial banks. But some of those same lawmakers admit that Glass-Steagall would not have prevented the financial crisis. Louise Bennett, Associate Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute, argues that systemic risk doesn't reside in individual firms. There's a lot of misnomers flying around about uh, what exactly a new Glass-Steagall would be. And, and, and I think there's, some, there's a lot of confusion about the existing structure of, uh, of banks. And, and something that people need to realize is that there is still a pretty large wall between the commercial and investment banking operations, even in, um, in banks that currently uh, perform both functions. And uh, all that the the repeal on Glass-Steagall did in in the late 90s was was take away the the prohibition on affiliation between commercial and investment banks. So in other words, a bank holding company, so the the publicly traded stock, so for example, JP Morgan and Company or Bank of America, um, could have both an investment banking subsidiary and a commercial banking subsidiary. So the investment bank banks, obviously, just for, 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 for the listeners that don't necessarily understand, an investment bank underwrites securities, engages in trading, um, does some derivative activities, although that can also be done out of a commercial bank. Uh, commercial banks obviously loan, they make mortgage loans, they make commercial loans. Um, so the, the, that's that's kind of the, the main distinction. So all that it did was repeal affiliation. You still, for example, and I hear a lot in the news about commercial deposits or, or insured deposits um, that, that obviously commercial banks uh, take from, from ordinary customers, that those insured deposits can somehow be used to fund investment banking activities. That's simply not factually accurate. And a commercial bank a commercial banking subsidiary can there's there's a lot of restrictions on what it can and can't do with those insured um, deposits and for example it cannot use them to fund its activities in in the investment bank investment banks fund their activities using overnight paper repo repos and that kind of uh, thing so this idea that that um, that you know insured uh, deposits are being used to fund these activities is is clearly false so uh, Elizabeth Warren recently uh, when pressed suggested that a restoration of Glass-Steagall would not have prevented the financial crisis. If, and if, if, if that's, that's the case, then uh, what is the goal here with that kind of, uh, of piece of legislation? Yes, but I mean, both Elizabeth Warren and even Paul Volcker, who's also been a, a proponent of bringing back Glass-Steagall, have both said that this is not something that would have addressed the 2008 crisis. Uh, Volcker himself says, look, this may avert future crises. And I don't think he's he's accurate on, on that point, but I'll, d- I'll discuss that in a minute. Elizabeth Warren has said that this is an issue that she, that she enjoys uh, uh, discussing because it's simple and people can understand it and it brings attention to the financial industry. So she's using it very much as an advertising tool rather than as a tool um, to improve systemic uh, soundness. So it has nothing to do with it. I mean, to hear her tell it, if, if, if you're accurate then, is that this doesn't have that much to do with the actual substantive policy changes that would be implemented? So what this really is, in essence, is a bank breakup bill. Um, 
this is a way of making um, the, the the commercial banks uh, and, and investment banks or combined entities smaller um, in a in a sort of clear, simple way that doesn't doesn't require a size cap. I mean, that's essentially what this is doing. And that's all very well, except that in the process, you may end up creating institutions that are weaker. Uh, remember that we had, a, in 2008, most of the banks that failed were either commercial thrifts, WAMU, Wachovia, IndyMac, or they were standalone investment banks that had no commercial banking operations. So Merrill, uh, Lehman, uh, Bear Stearns, etc., and there is, a, I think, considerable evidence that global banks, and by global banks, I mean banks that do everything or, or diversified in functions, are safer because the investment in commercial banking operations act as counterweights. So when commercial banking is not doing as well, the investment banking, you know, picks up and, and, and vice versa. So, um, so the, this, the problem with this, the, with this suggestion is that we may end up in a situation where banks are less sound, even if they're smaller. Is it fair to draw conclusions uh, about this from banks that have failed, uh, given that so much of the uh, criticism about the bailouts was that money flowed to these very large institutions like Goldman Sachs? Yeah, the, 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 pro the problem in 2008 is that you had what I would call a genuine systemic crisis. And system, you know, these these bank breakup bills and these size caps look at individual institutions and ignore the fact that systemic risk is not an individual institution problem. It's a market problem. And it only exists in the market when you have every institution doing the same thing. And and so you know a loss of, con of of confidence in one institution may result in a loss of confidence in the market, and that's what we saw in two thousand and eight. Now there were exceptions; some, not every institution was doing the same thing. But to distinguish between the ones that were and the ones that weren't was very difficult. Um, and so, you know, people had lost confidence in in the balance sheets of of a lot of these banks, large and small. It was, you know, across the, across the market. And so, the big problem that we have today is how do we address systemic risk in a way that doesn't focus on you know individual institutions, but rather avoids this problem of everybody doing the same thing. And I don't think we've really addressed that because that's a problem that starts in Washington. To the extent that you have an answer to that question, uh, what is it? I think that we need to avoid encouraging financial institutions, even for even for good reason, or avoid yeah, avoid encouraging them from doing things that the market wouldn't necessarily support in a free market environment. And by that I mean, for example, in two thousand and eight. And, and in fact, during the savings and loan crisis and some of the bigger, other bigger crisis, crises that this country's experienced, there's almost always been some kind of real estate boom that's preceded it. And that is a direct result of Washington's policy to encourage home ownership. And the way that they do that is by subsidizing it. Um, and encouraging banks to make loans to riskier and riskier people, um, or not necessarily even people, but risky loans, you know, loans that people can't afford. That is always going to end badly because at some point, you know, when, when, when people have to 
pay these loans or when or when you know assets have to be valued, um, there's going to end up being a crisis. And you don't want this to be widespread. You know, yes, there will always be the banks that will make riskier loans, but usually they will charge higher interest rates to counteract the risk. You can't manage that. You can't have you know cheap loans that are also extremely risky because that's going to end badly. Louise Bennett is Associate Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of her work at Cato.org.